This message is brought to you by House on the Rock Fellowship. We are a church that serves and cares for the Miami Valley region in Ohio. Before you continue, make sure to access the notes from our download section of our message page and have your Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. I do want to thank you for uh, your continued prayers and support for me in my healing. Uh, if you did not know, a couple weeks ago, I had to have emergency surgery after preaching two sermons because it's that kind of work. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> but uh, as a result, have had to um, shift down in, in life for about four more weeks. I have a lifting capacity and going camping and not able to do a lot of the things that I like to do when I go camping. Um, uh, has been a challenge. Wonderful wife, wonderful kids. So for the last 10, 10, 11 days, I was sitting alongside the Mohican River where Knox County and Holmes County meet and just soaked up God's good creation and the presence of my family. But beyond that, thank you for your cards and your support and your generosity. And not just for me, it meant a lot to, for me that my sons got to see that side of church life. If you live in a pastoral home or if you live in a ministering home um, doing what we do, sometimes all you see is the church taking. The church took dad again tonight. Church took dad to another meeting church took dad to do this. And it's really easy for some to harbor bitterness, be they children, be they spouses. And so for my family to see your overflowing generosity to them that the church also gives and cares for its own means a lot to me. Thank you very, very much. Uh, we really, really do appreciate your presence and your love. About five weeks ago, we began a study in justice. And you might think, well, why justice? Because if you begin to tap into the question of justice and what biblical justice, restoring justice is, you find it's actually a really big deal in Scripture that we have a responsibility to steward the flourishing of others. We really are our brother's keepers. Jesus comes and he introduces his ministry, his life-giving, grace-giving ministry as a call to justice. For the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, anointed me to proclaim good news to who? Poor. To heal. Blind. To preach liberty to captives and oppressed. To proclaim the good year of the Lord's favor. That this is a story about justice. And we are to be zealous for participating in that story, stewarding the flourishing, the thriving of others around us. That God loves justice. You know, if there's something that God loves, we might want to dial into that. If God says he loves something, he loves justice, we might want to lean in on that. But what we have found in our study is that we as human beings are not given to justice. We are given to taking. 
We are consumed with consuming. And the fabric of humanity has been torn because of that consumption. Because as I consume, as I take, I gather other takers with me. And in our tribes, we take from others. And then we will militarize so that we can take others' stuff. And the fabric tears more and more and more and more. We have this tradition when we go camping. I don't, it's a tradition because we do it every time. And if we don't do it, there will be judgment from the lower ranks. <laughs> that uh, we pack up camp. And because it was a rainy last night, everything is soaked and wet and muddy. And we know that it's going to be a long day. But we're putting camp away. We're putting camp away, which means it's now time for lunch. And we have this tradition that after packing everything up and doing the hard work of that, we stop at McDonald's. Um, we just have always done it. In fact, they will kind of tell themselves that, all right, we're doing all this work because we have Big Macs that are calling our name. And they will motivate themselves, my sons, to go get Big Macs. And so we are entering into society, the transition <laughs> oddly and ironically enough, the transition for our family from the peace of God to the hellish work of life is McDonald's. <laughs> we enter the world through the portal of Mickey D's. And as we have ordered our Big Macs and we sit at the table, there's a flat screen TV that's up there and it's playing news. And the very first thing that I see as I'm welcomed back into society is this military coup that's going on in Russia. And I'm like, well, we're back. Because isn't that what we as humans do? We take. And the fabric tears. But what happens when the tapestry of humanity tears is that some will fall through the cracks. Those are the ones that the scripture calls the vulnerable. They're the poor the widows, the foreigners, those who lack the support system to cling, to hold, to carry, to nurture one another. And God has a precious place in his attention for the vulnerable of society. In fact, he measures the health of the society based on how they care for the vulnerable in their midst. Why? Well, you have to have a restored understanding of humanity. What is humanity? Yes, broken, 100%. Sinful, completely. Deprived, you know it. But at its core, humanity is three beautiful things. Humanity is God's ambassadors to creation. We are charged as God's created image bearers to represent him to others into creation. And you don't make light of someone's ambassador, do you? But more than ambassadors, they are, we are God's good artwork. A precious, amazing thing is a human being. Precious in God's eyes. But more than just artwork, adored children. Every male, every female, Every human being here, God loves deeply, richly, 
And so you can imagine his concern when things start to fall through the cracks. We were just laying a groundwork of theology uh, of justice those last five weeks. But now we're going to take a turn. And I said last week and leading into that, that now we're going to start the hard conversation of so what? What does it mean that I am charged with justice? Because that sounds hard. It sounds hard that my natural inclination is to put me first. But if I'm going to do the work of justice, that means I need to deprive myself to lift somebody else up. That sounds hard. It sounds hard to put others first. Yes. So what is it that drives and fuels the engine of justice? Is grace. And that's what we talked about last week. And I know, I talked about it for 50 minutes. I, yes, some of you have told me, wow, that was a long message last week, wasn't it? Yes, I filmed it and I went on vacation. And I, when I went back to Ryan after we cut it, and I said, hey, how long was that? Because I'm just out of surgery, guys. I'm like, what, three days out of surgery, okay? Um, and he's like, yeah, that was about 50 minutes. I'm like, oh, well, I'm tired and I'm not doing it again. So too bad for them. <laughs> What's that? It could, I could have gone long. I mean, hey, I'm, I got the microphone now, Mo. We could, we could, you know, hold my communion juice. Watch what I can do. Um, grace. What is grace? Grace is, is, is that, 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 that benevolence of God by which Jesus, who was rich, became poor that I might become rich. So if I struggle with the ministry of grace, if I struggle with the ministry of justice to others who are suffering and vulnerable, I need to remember that he became poor for me, that I might become rich with him. Now, today, and the next three weeks, let's talk about practically how we become agents of justice. Today, we're going to talk about voice. Next week, we're going to talk about hands, how we do the work of justice, good deeds, as it's described in the New Testament. And then we're going to talk about community, how we as a church community foster justice, uh, ministries of relief and ministries of restoration and ministries of reform. What might that look like as a community of believers as we wrestle with our responsibility? And then the last Sunday, I believe it's July 16th, I believe, um, is one service here at 10 o'clock, all together, all together. And we're going to talk about a vision uh, for, for justice moving forward, okay? So let's talk about voice. How important is voice in the ministry of justice? If you care about restoring justice, then you must use your voice when you see injustice. Okay? If you care about restoring justice, that means you will use your voice when you see injustice. Voice is powerful. Voice is the means by which God creates things. And God said, and God spoke, and there was. And you can imagine then as being God's good image bearers, that there's power in the voice. Proverbs says that there's life and death in the tongue. You have the capacity through your voice to bring life, to bring death. How many of you have ever experienced that? 
Someone has said something to you and it gave life. Someone said something to you and it brought death. Sure. It's a powerful, creative force. Voice, your voice is that thing which gives you as an individual agency. It's one of the reasons we celebrate your first word. Remember that? Like, you know, it's, oh, he spoke for the first time. His first word was, she just said. Why is that a big deal? Because now this little human being is beginning to engage with the world around them. Vocally, I want, I see, I hurt, I need. It's what gives the human being agency. Voice creates community. When we were camping, you, you could go up and down the campground, and in the evenings you saw people around campfires using their voice to share stories, to build community. Uh, my son was just asking me on the drive-in. Jackson comes in with me first thing in the morning. And we just happened, he asked me, he says, hey, when, when, when was your first sermon? When did you preach for the first time? I said, I was in ninth grade. Uh, I preached on Sabbath. That was the topic that was given to me, to preach on Sabbath. And then afterwards, the pastor told me that I was wrong, even though I was right. Um, and I, I am right. And he was wrong. And then I told Jackson, that's okay, Jackson, because he was arrested for tax fraud and went to prison and started a cult. This is true. And then Jackson's like, where were these stories around the campfire? Like, Dad, you're holding out. Your dad, you, there's things to tell. There's stories to tell. Because voice, oh, it's about voice. And that's one of the reasons why when we talk about justice and specifically injustice, that voice is so important. Because one of the things that the vulnerable have taken away from them his voice. They are no longer heard. And someone needs to speak for them. Let me show you a few examples in Scripture of what I'm talking about. Turn to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel. Cain did what to Abel? Oh, come on, guys, we're farther along than that. Cain did what to Abel? Killed him, that's right. Yeah, use your voice. Use your voice, okay? It's okay. We're good. Injustice. Murdered. Struck down. Slayed. Injustice. And you can imagine... God has something to say about it. Let me start reading. This is uh, Genesis chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 1. We'll drill down when we get to verse 8. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. Let me read you into it. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, Cain a worker of the ground. Both great professions, all good. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the, their fat portions. Something different in their offerings. Abel brought the best. Cain brought some. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord holds him accountable. He says, listen, we're going to do this. We're going to do it right. 
The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face falling? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Hey, I'm just calling you out, correct this, make it right, and we're fine. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is to destroy, it's contrary to you. You must rule over it. You can make the right choice. You can make the right choice here. Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. When they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Why? Because that's what humans do. We destroy each other. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? I can tell there's not someone, this is me filling in some gaps, okay, look at me. There's someone, okay, there's someone who's supposed to be here that's not here. Cain, the, the fabric of humanity has been torn and it, someone has fallen through. Cain, where's your brother? I'm concerned. Where's your brother? What's Cain do? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Best question. Awesome question, especially in justice, because what's the answer? 100% yes, you are. Am I my brother's keeper? Is it my responsibility to steward his flourishing? Am I to keep my eye out for my brother? 100%. 100%. And the Lord said to him, verse 10, what did you do? What did you do to another human being? What did you do to one of my image bearers, my ambassadors? What did you do to my artwork? What did you do to one of my adored children? What did you do? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. The voice of the injustice cries to me as his good creator and father. Because Abel cannot speak, I will speak for him. Cain, what did you do? If you care about justice, then you will voice injustice. Now, does that make sense? Is that something that we, God would do? Does it make sense to us what we've learned about God? Is anyone surprised? We shouldn't be surprised. If you've gone through scripture and you've developed a theology of justice, that should make perfect sense to us. Because we know that God loves justice and he loves humanity and Jesus is about justice and the story is about our accountability to one another to care and nurture one another. And God cares about that. What's so interesting at this time is when these stories are moving around, when other, when other people groups are developing their understanding of the divine, this is not how God is presented. The gods don't care about humans. The only thing that gods care about is that they get their offerings of prayer and sacrifice. Y'all kill each other. We don't care one way or another. But here from the beginning, we are shown that God cares very, very much when one human mars another. 
So much so, you won't be surprised that as we tiptoe through the Old Testament, you will see time and time again where God sends voice to injustice. And he'll do it through what Scripture calls prophets. Okay? Prophets are people who speak for God. They bring people back to a covenant relationship with God. Sometimes, sometimes, it's a small sometimes, but it's there. They will foretell what's going to happen. Hey, this emperor is going to come in. This army is going to come in. This is what's going to happen. Sometimes that happens. Most of the time, what they say are the things that must happen in restoring a relationship one with another and a relationship with God, righteousness. They become God's voice, okay? So in cases of injustice, God sends a prophet in to say, hey, what's going on here? One example is when David did something that was really, really bad. I want you to take out your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, chapter 12. David, Goliath, David, Good king. David, from the line of which Jesus comes, is the good king. David wrote all the Psalms. Good stuff. Had some real, real, real bad moments. It's the king's responsibility to establish justice in the nation, that the throne be established with justice and righteousness. It's the king's responsibility to create a context where the covenant relationship with God thrives. That's the king's job. The king is not to be an agent of injustice. But that's exactly what David becomes. It says earlier in the story, at the time when kings go off to war. So it's the time of the year when the kings are supposed to be out with the army, establishing the perimeter, establishing the border, protecting the people. David stays back. David is not where he's supposed to be. Bad things happen if you are not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're just setting yourself up. And as he's walking around the veranda one night, the scripture says he looks down and sees literally a very beautiful woman, that's what it says, taking a bath. He says to himself, I will take her. Sends his royal guard down, takes her to himself, rapes her. She becomes pregnant. He tries to cover up the act. Can't pull off the cover up. So has her husband murdered in battle. Injustice upon injustice upon injustice upon injustice. He thinks he gets away with it. Thinks he gets away with this cover-up. Thinks he gets away with the injustice. Until God sends voice. This is what it says at the beginning of chapter 12. The Lord said to Nathan, the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, Nathan's the prophet, counselor. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. Okay, notice, notice the power dynamic. Rich, much, poor, none. Okay. He brought it up, grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup, lie in his arms, was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. 
then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. Uh, why? Well, what's David's profession? What is David at heart? What did he grow up doing? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's a shepherd. That's what he does. He's a shepherd. He knows sheep. He knows what it, it, it is to know the flock, to spend night after night with the flock, caring and tending and protecting and, and nurturing them. He knows the sheep by name. This, he has that heart. And so Nathan comes and he brings him a story of injustice. And maybe David thinks like this is actually playing out. And the prophet, hey, do you know that there's this place in the country and there's this rich man and he took the poor man's lame. And you can just, David's like, are you serious? Are you serious? So what, what, what? And David, anger was greatly kindled against the man and said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He will restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing. He had no pity. He had no compassion. Nathan draws him in and draws him in and draws him in plucks those heartstrings, plucks those emotional strings. And here David thinks that there's this injustice of shepherding that's going on, some rich man oppressing some poor man. And then the prophet drops the hammer, throws down the mic. You are the man. You took what was not yours to take you raped, you covered up, and you murdered. And God has something to say about it. Notice, if you care about justice, you will speak about injustice. Move forward in the story, different king, different prophet, in First Kings Chapter 21, uh, King Ahab, not a great guy. In fact, really bad guy, bad king all the way around. Does bad thing after bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. And he has himself a palace. Next to that palace is a man named Naboth, and Naboth has a vineyard. And Ahab decides he wants the vineyard so he can turn it into a tomato garden. Dead serious. She says, I want a vegetable garden. That guy has a vineyard. That vineyard is right next to my palace. He goes to Naboth and says, hey, I tell you what, I will buy your vineyard from you. I'll give you other land. I just want to turn it into a vegetable garden. Here's the thing. You don't sell ancestral land. You don't, land doesn't change hands. You don't do that. Land stays with the people. Land stays with the family. This is Naboth's family vineyard. You don't sell it. And she's like, I'm not going to sell it. I'm not selling this land. So Ahab has himself a pity party. He actually has a pity party. He refuses to eat. He walks around the palace moping. And his wife, Jezebel, how many of you think she was a good woman? That's one, you hear the name Jezebel, you know why? Because of this chick. This is the reason why, okay? She says, what is your problem? Why is my Ahab so sad? He say, well, I wanted the man's vineyard and he won't give me the vineyard. No, I can't have the vineyard. And so Jezebel says, I will get you your vineyard. This is what we're going to do. We're going to call a fast in the community. As the whole community is gathered together, she solicits two nefarious characters to make divine injunction and judgment against Naboth in the presence of everyone, that he's doing things against the covenant of God. 
these two men make those accusations. They drag Naboth off and have him stoned. Then she goes to Jezebel. Jezebel goes to Ahab. Here's your vineyard. That's injustice. That's oppression. That's power pushing the man down. And as you can imagine, God has something to say about it. So, 1 Kings chapter 21. Elijah now Elijah and Ahab have this hate-hate relationship. So you've got to be careful with some of the things that come out of Elijah's mouth. Um, so we're not going to take a cue from that. But listen to what, this is 1 Kings 21, verse 17. 1 Kings 21, verse 17. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he's in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, you will speak, use your voice. Thus says the Lord, have you killed and taken possession? You, Elijah, okay, you are to be my voice. You are going to go speak truth to power. You are going to call the injustice out. You are going to call, you're going to go into his presence. Did you take something that wasn't yours to take? Did you tear at the fabric of humanity? And did Naboth and his family and his children and his legacy, did it fall through the cracks? Elijah walks into the palace. Ahab sees him and says, oh, my enemy is back. And Elijah says, I'm here to burn you to the ground. It's literally what Elijah says. Don't do that. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Don't do that. But do speak truth to justice. In Daniel chapter 4, this is a story that I'd look up later. Uh, in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar is ruling and reigning the known world. And at that time in his court is a man named Daniel. Daniel's a good man. Daniel's a good man who loves and chases after the Lord. And he's developed a friendship with Nebuchadnezzar. But God says Nebuchadnezzar a dream, a dream by which Nebuchadnezzar's throne and empire and legacy is threatened. He can't understand the dream. He knows that Daniel can. He says, hey, what's this dream mean? And Daniel's like, I really don't want to have to tell you. I really don't want to have to tell you, my friend. I, don't, I, I wish this upon my enemies. I would not wish this upon you. You're my friend. The dream means that you're going to lose your influence, your power, your throne, that you will be humiliated for seven years. You're going to run around like a madman. But then Daniel says this at the end of the chapter in the closing verses, he says, maybe this will fix it. If you turn to Daniel chapter four, just these last couple verses. But Ryan, do you have the verses up there? Do you have Daniel four? Yeah, look at this. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Okay, maybe this will change things. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Nebuchadnezzar, you're gonna lose your empire. You know what might change that? Practice righteousness. Walk rightly before God and one with another. You wanna 
maybe change this. You know what you should focus on? It's not focusing on your geopolitical status. It's not focusing uh, on leveraging uh, new ministries. It's not focusing on building your army. You know what you should focus on, Nebuchadnezzar? Take care of the oppressed in your midst. And maybe God will relent. Isn't that interesting? The answer for restoring a country is caring for the oppressed. What you should notice is if you look at how Daniel spoke to Nebuchadnezzar, he spoke with kindness and respect. That's how you speak truth to power. Unless you're Elijah and you're not, nor am I. Jesus in Matthew 23 Stepping in as the good king after his triumphal entry, stepping in as a prophet in his own right, confronts and calls out the power basis that is the Pharisees and the Sadducees and how they are using religion to hold themselves up and to keep the other parts of the country down. And he brings seven woes, prophetic declarations of divine judgment against the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. It is so embarrassing. It is so heavy. It is so hard that they then begin to plan, we need to take him out. He says this, Jesus says this in Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, verse 23. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You tithe mint and dill and cumin and neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat to swallow a camel. You, you focus so much on making sure that your worship is right, that you don't just tithe your silver and your gold. You go through your herb cabinet. You're tithing your dill, and you're pulling out 10% of your cumin, and you're pulling out 10% of cilantro, and you're pulling out 10% of parsley. You're bringing that to the temple. You're so concerned about doing this thing, you forgot what God said, Jesus said, is heavier than that. You forgot justice and mercy and faithfulness. Isn't that interesting? That God would say in his economy, I completely resist your worship and tithe to me if you will not steward and care for one another. Isn't that interesting? You'd think I'd be like, all right, as long as this is good, we'll figure this part out. God's like, no. Until this is taken care of, we have issues. We have issues. I've taught that to my sons. I pray you've taught it to your kids. Like, you want something from me? I saw what you just said. I saw what you just did to them. No. You go make that right, then we can talk. Our role Jesus said, is to be salt in the world. We often talk about being light. Let's be a light. Yes. But he says also be salt. Salt is the preserving agent for meat. Salt is what lets meat last longer. And he says, that's us. 
We as his ambassadors, his emissaries, his voice are to provide a preserving agent in culture and community. That we say, hey, this is wrong. Hey, this is right. To speak truth to power. Which means we have to learn to insert ourselves where we're not invited. Maybe you're a little bit like me and say, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to insert myself. You know, I just want to be prudent. That's their thing. I got my little empire going here. I'm good. I don't want to make a mess. Jesus, no, you stick your nose in there. Their voice was taken away. You need to be their voice. You guys watch sporting events, right? Sporting events with referees, right? What's the ref do? He sticks his nose in there. Tweet, that's a foul. You, you can't push him from the back. We, you don't do that. That's no. That's a no. We, we, we don't do that. If we're, we're going to play this game together, you can't do that. They stick their nose in. We don't play sides. That's not our calling. We're called to be the referees and say that's out of line. To advocate. We're used to well, watching crime shows and court TV. You're used to seeing someone who stands at the bar to advocate on behalf of the victims, right? Well, that's normal. We're used to seeing that. That's not really something that humans have done for very long. Did you know that? The earliest written accounts that we have in Athens and in Rome is only about 400, 500 B.C., where it was, you know what? If we had an advocate speak on behalf of the victims, that might be a good idea. The pagan world just figured that one out. Millennia before that, God was sending advocates before power to say, you can't do that. They matter. And that prophetic voice must return to the church again where we use our voice to say they matter. This week, I would challenge you to use your voice in four ways. If you're a note taker, maybe here's four suggestions. One of them is using your voice in prayer. God, I pray for the vulnerable in our midst. God, I pray for the unborn. God, I pray for the children. God, I pray for the homeless. God, I pray for the foreigner. Give us this day our daily bread. But also praying for boldness and courage. To speak truth to power calls for courage. God, would you give me courage, please? As I have opportunity to speak to my manager, as I have opportunity to speak at a, uh, a city council, as I have opportunity to speak at a school board meeting, God, as I have an opportunity to speak to those in positions of influence and power, God, would you give me boldness? Would you give me courage? Use your voice to talk to God this week about justice. You will have his ear. You can talk to God about a lot of dumb things and he'll be like, yeah, okay. But you start talking to God about justice, 
and his divine posture turns like, hey, okay, all right, you have my attention. What do you see? What do you need? What are you thinking? Another way that you can use your voice is by speaking to those in positions of power. But hear me, please. Don't be a jerk. Do not be an Elijah. Be a Daniel. <laughs> okay? Tell you what, you call down fire, then you can be Elijah. <laughs> be a Daniel. Look at how Nathan spoke to David. He endeared him. He spoke to his heart. If you read the passage in Daniel 4, how Daniel spoke to Nebuchadnezzar, it was with respect and with courtesy. That's what Paul says to Titus in Titus chapter 2 and Titus chapter 3. When he calls the church to good works, he says, tell everyone, speak with courtesy to everyone. Repeat after me. I will not speak like a jerk. I will not speak like a jerk. Okay? Speak truth to power. Go to city board council meetings. Go to school board meetings. Go have a meeting with your manager, your boss. You sense an injustice. You see an injustice. You see people that are falling through the gaps. You know it's your responsibility from a prophetic position to say something. Say something. But don't be a jerk when you do. Speak with kindness. Speak with courtesy. Speak with respect. Maybe where you're at in the circles that you're in, you're beginning to notice some injustices, some people, and you know it's time for you to say something. Third group of people is the vulnerable. When you bump into the vulnerable, when you see them, speak with love. Find out their name. Listen for their story. Share with them the love of God. Do not shame them. Do not shame them at any point because life is destroying them and they've become a victim to the culture that we're all battling against. Do not shame them at all. Being human is hard. And we all at various times will find ourselves falling through the cracks. But also, this week, use your voice to call one another to the ministry of justice. We can talk about the weather. That's easy. We're not accountable to the weather. Can't do anything about it. It's safe and easy. But when we start talking about justice, now I'm accountable to something. I am confident that our best ideas in ministering for justice as a church family are not going to come from me. I know that. Sit in an elders meeting. You'll find out real fast. I do not have the best ideas. I just have the biggest voice. I am confident that our best ideas are out here in the pews. God, as you pray, it's going to open your heart and your mind to see something, to notice something. And I need you to say it. 
Hey, pastor, I was praying. Hey, elder, I was praying, and God showed me, and God taught me. I'm like, oh, that's an awesome. Let's see what we can do. Let's muster the army. Let's gather together. Let's move forward. How can we do this? Let's talk about justice. Let's talk about where we see injustice. Let's be a voice for those who had their voice taken away. Artists, would you come up, please? But encouraging you to read the story of the Good Samaritan along with our study on justice to give us a narrative to hang this, to hang this theology on. And if you'll notice in that story, the victim, the man who's robbed and beaten and left for dead, says nothing in the story. He has no voice. The Good Samaritan has to become his voice. Has to speak for him. Speak to him and act on his behalf. Let that be us today and moving forward. Why don't we stand? And sense in yourself the weight and the mantle. A prophet wears a mantle. A mantle of responsibility. Because I'm a part of the body of Christ, I will speak on behalf of those who've lost their voice. I will speak with kindness. I will speak truth. I will speak with courage. I will speak with boldness. When I pray, I will pray with justice on my heart, fueled by the grace of God that he's given me. Think about the Lord's Prayer. Is it not a prayer for justice? Our Father in heaven, you're the creator of all things. Hallowed be your name. May my life shine upon you. Your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Fueled by what? God, I see the vulnerable in my midst. God, I know that they're here. Give us this day our daily bread. That's a prayer for justice. That's a prayer for restoration. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's righteousness, justice and righteousness, walking right with God, walking rightly one with another. Lead us not into temptation. Guide us through our trials. Deliver us from the evil of oppression and injustice. Deliver us from the evil of sin and corruption. Deliver us from the evil of murder and hate and rage and taking. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us use our voice in song. Let us sing this truth into our hearts. Let's sing these words back to God. May this place echo and reverberate with a voice of people touched by grace who care about justice. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you, to be gracious to you. May he turn his face to you. Through us, may he give another peace. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today 
if you want to send us a short note, a member of our HOPE team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came, and that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life, and a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.